Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And today's topic, shifting from a principal-dependent to scenario-driven business. Now, when we are talking about today's day and age, we are seeing there are issues with uh, the pandemic that we saw, some disruptions, and also there are differences or a change in the customer expectations. The business models are changing and even how we get the, the work done. Now, with that said, we are looking at demand planning. We are looking at our operational capabilities. We are trying to reimagine them or rethink them to see how will we be able to cope up with the new challenges and the new loads that is coming our way. And then even we are looking at the externally uh, connected entities, which are our partners, to see how do we build an ecosystem so that we are able to work together as one unit to serve our customers. Now, all of that said, it's not new in the way I define these two or three elements. But what about a different way of looking at it? Because anything which was a best practices earlier or something best practices, something which we used to work earlier is we used to call it best practices. Is that a good way for us to sit and, and keep using or keep, keep using that mantra, which, which is what's ain't broke, don't fix it. Or we go with a new way of approaching things. Now, if you are going in the new direction, can we become more practical? Can we use some realistic scenario-driven models that are not, again, set in stone for 10 years from now, but we continue to get feedback and continue to tweak them so that we truly stay real and stay relevant and resilient and reliable in the whole process? Is it easy? Perhaps not. Are people able to get all the way? We will check that during this conversation. And if something is holding the organizations back from taking this leap from a principal dependent to a scenario-driven business, how are they doing? And how can the collaboration happen between business and IT to make this happen? Quite a loaded topic, and the conversation is going to be great. And for that, I could not find better people than Nick Giannakakis, who is the Group Chief Information Officer for Motor Oil. Hey, Nick, how are you? Nice. Thank you. And great to be along with you, folks. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And we also have Jennifer Greenman, who is the Chief Information Officer with Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Hey, Jennifer, how's life? I'm doing great. Thank you for the opportunity to participate today. Absolutely. So, uh, Nick, let's start with you. So, we always have looked at business, especially, you know, enterprising, uh, enterprises, bigger enterprises, they used to, and they still do, have this expectation that we should not mess around with the stability at which this business is running. And at the same time, we want to do these newer initiatives as well. So when we are trying to do it, we always try to rely on the tried and tested and the proven methodologies and frameworks. In the context of today's disruptive and a faster future ahead type of life and business, we are looking at that landscape. What's good and bad about that approach? 
First of all, I like the question. I think it is, we thought about that ourselves uh, in my current organization uh, and in uh, my team, I would say, specifically. Um, I would say that it has to do with the three R's. Uh, ourselves as a technology or, uh, department inside a large-scale organization, we used to uh, focus on, uh, I would say, reliability and responsiveness. And uh, these problem methodologies that you just mentioned, they are very good about that. First of all, because they are proven. They come with, uh, I would say, a history of successful results. So in regards to reliability, they do have a significant portion about that. And last but not least, since it is very much related with success in the past, it has to do uh, also a certain degree of responsiveness. What they do lack is the resilience. What has been proved in the past, uh, in the past months it is that these test tested principles that worked very well, they couldn't cope with the resilience aspect. They couldn't cope since they are proven and tested, but with data, variables, and parameters of the past, with not the addition of this exceptional event, they couldn't provide us the resilience factor. So definitely, if you see it, it was from a history standpoint, it could cover all this linear approach, but when the situation becomes exponential, simply they couldn't cope on that. The result, the resilience of the organization becomes an issue. So, Jennifer, when you look at your organization, I think a different level, uh, it, it is, uh, you know, what I call it, it is touching human lives. And when you look at that as a context, would you be willing to do some creative destruction means let go of the past and go into the future and fundamentally move towards something that's new, something which is progressive when human life's at stake or the management will frown at the very idea and say, stick to what worked in the past? What have you seen? I think, it, so first of all, I think it's a really great question, a really great topic to way to frame this because you're right. I mean, when we are in the healthcare industry, um, we are subject to, you know, incredible, incredibly high uh, amount of regulation, very necessary and important regulation. Um, but we also have, I mean, that the stakes here are, are profound. I mean, there's nothing that, you know, we could do to more directly affect someone's, you know, life, someone's, um, survival, someone's quality of life and their families. So we do have to, to some extent, you know, take a very, you know, uh, more of a cautious approach when we're, when we are uh, leading or driving forward to change. That said, I think we also recognize that, you know, the healthcare industry as a whole, uh, this is not a comment specifically on my organization, but just across the board, the healthcare industry, the economic model is is not sustainable. We also know that, um, you know, our patients um, expect and really demand a higher level of service, um, a consumer-like experience now when they're interacting with their healthcare providers. So I think that there is going to be, there must be disruption, you know, for us to, you know, survive and for us to really transform into the healthcare system that we, we need both uh, as a nation, but also um, as a society at large. Um, if I may, I was going to add a few additional points. I thought Nick's uh, comments were right on. I was going to say, you know, when I started in healthcare, you know, many of the hospitals 
least here in the U.S., had paper-based medical records. And so there was not a wide amount of knowledge with the massive transformation required to adopt electronic health records. And so after working now for this, the past 20 years to really evolve um, the U.S. healthcare system into more of an electronic automated medical record system, um, you know, we have developed a lot of knowledge, you know, hard fought in some cases, you know, battle scars uh, to go with it. But we've developed this really rich, you know, library of best practices, this wisdom that we have been able to use to apply to the digital transformation that we're now, you know, leading into for the next era. So, you know, there's, there are positives for sure, as it relates to, you know, relying upon the principles that we have um, uh, worked, that we have led through for so many years. But, you know, as uh, Nick noted, there, the, these tried and true principles are not, are really just far too slow to respond and adjust to what, we often experience, which are volatile, dynamic, and urgent needs in a digitally enabled environment. So, you know, I try to apply what's worked in the past, the wisdom, the knowledge, the experience, but also recognize that going forward, you know, we have to be a much more agile um, enterprise to succeed and to deliver the healthcare experience that, you know, we need. So, Nick, given that you use the past principles, and I know this is a predicament whether we use them or not, but even on the ground, even if you had a principle that was otherwise proven, when you're using them in today's context, what's your observation? Are they still standing true to all the tests you are putting on them or you're seeing them cracking so that it kind of gives way for a justification to start thinking a new way of technology? you know, approaching things? I think the uh, tested principles do not go uh, alone by themselves. They go with a mentality. They go along with processes. They go along even with technology. So uh, even if we try to, to change, completely alter those principles without changing the ecosystem around that, we will not succeed. So to your question, it worked very well in this ecosystem. But from the time that all of us, we agree, all, all of us, we realize that we need to improve elements as our mentality, uh, Jennifer mentioned the agile over there to become more agile, immediately we realize that there will be a, a subsequent change to those principles as well. Um, I, I would tell you also what this situation has made imminent is the need to become data-driven. Uh, I put this thing in my organization, and I remember even before the crisis, I started discussing about data-driven organization, and the people thought that it was just a motto. Now, with this new reality, changing this thing to become really a data-driven organization, and as a result of it, to have this multiplication of uh, scenarios and uh, forecasting based on those uh, data-driven results was really, really a success story. Now, if, if what you've tried to do has worked for you, and, and I like the way you approached it, Nick, where the environment, it's not just a principle written in two lines is what's going to drive it. It's the, the environment in which you are utilizing. So, Jennifer, I'm going to build upon that and ask you the question. If you were to take a context circa, say, 2010 versus now, and it's the same principle. What are those 
clear and explicit shifts that have happened in the environmental factors which would render a principle not as effective. Yeah, so I would say probably the expectations of the various consumer customer groups that we work with have, you know, evolved dramatically since 2010. I mean, almost everyone now, you know, has some level of digital dexterity, some higher than others. Um, so I think that the expectations, you know, we have broadly from the uh, communities that we serve um, have changed and uh, certainly heightened, you know, over the past decade. We had, and so in terms of, you know, looking at the principles that have worked before, you know, one of the things that I still encounter at times today um, are leaders and practitioners in IT that have a philosophy that's oriented towards a command and control mentality for enterprise technologies. And that really, that mentality does not work anymore, you know, in this, you know, much more collaborative and dynamic digital era that we exist in. So I think that we have to accept the reality and we've had to evolve certainly, you know, within the organizations I've worked at, we've had to accept that, you know, we cannot have total control over all platform access and development. And we've had to work very diligently, very intentionally to establish smart, responsible, and flexible environments that empower our business teams to embrace, you know, the full spectrum of value of, opt- of, of automation. So, you know, some examples uh, that I've seen that I'm, I will say we're still in the early stages of, but I'm very interested in are things like citizen development, integration, and analytic platforms that, again, put the power in the, in the hands of our business users. Um, and again, on the patient side, the consumer side for me, and it's also how do we empower our patients with tools to make the best possible medical decisions for their life? Um, so those are some things that I think we're seeing evolve considerably over the past decade. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. So Nick, when we come back, let's talk demand planning and how demand planning should be changing based on where we are and what are the typical changes we should bring about in the processes and the technology enablement so that it allows you to do it effectively. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Demand planning. Uh, Nick, demand planning is not new. It's an integral part of a business, and we always have been doing it. Did you continue to tweak it, made it better, or you feel there is a fundamental requirement or rather a need to rethink it in today's landscape and in the context of processes, technology, or any other dimension that you feel? 
Thank you very much for the question. And I would like to associate this with uh, my current experience, which was uh, in my current post in uh, Motor Oil. Um, when we entered the pandemic, we faced also, uh, on top of the pandemic crisis, the price oil war. And at the, having two crises at the same time, the perfect storm. Uh, so for an organization which was extremely successful in demand planning and forecasting, they had to adjust and create and build this thing by using completely a different approach. So the need of having accurate demand planning has become, I would say, imminent now. How we were able to address that? Of course, change of the processes, but technology was over there to help us, to be an enabler for us, for these scenarios that we have put together. And we're talking about now, to be absolutely clear, we're talking about for the first time, with the use of technology, we were able to associate our birth scheduling, that means our ships were approaching our uh, shores, with the overall supply chain network plus the retail business. Something that in the past was uh, not a priority for us because we used to operate in service. This is an example where uh, it was an imminent need for, I would say, completely different demand planning and the technology were able to uh, help us towards this direction. So, Jennifer, in your case, do you think in any form or fashion uh, the demand planning would uh, play a huge role? It should because at some point, you know, you're the provider space. These things do matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and so to... I'll use another um, very uh, another pandemic-related example to build upon Nick's theme. Um, you know, at the onset of the pandemic, we, it, my organization, and many healthcare provider organizations have the same story, but we were faced with two sort of immediate business um, imperatives. One being the need to transition, you know, hundreds and in some cases thousands of, uh, of employees to work remotely, um, and the other being that we had to shift many of our uh, scheduled patient appointments to from you know on-site bricks and mortar facility-based visits to uh, remote to be virtual, and so you know we immediately had to you know stop and refocus our efforts uh, on responding to these urgent needs. And I mean, when I say urgent, I mean we had you know effectively days to make all this happen to operationalize it. You know, I think that you know thinking back at that time, I am grateful that through years of foundational of, of solid foundational infrastructure planning. And I cannot take all the credit for this because I've only been at CTCA for two years, but really even leading into that time, you know, we had a very robust, scalable and extensible technology infrastructure. So making these changes and in a very, responding in a very rapid and adaptable way was not as challenging as it would have been if we had not been so thoughtful about making these these infrastructure investments into things like cloud delivery platforms, for example, and you know network capacity um, tools. That was very helpful for us. And then also on the on the virtual healthcare side, you know we were able to very rapidly adapt to a model. So working closely with our operating partners, so our clinicians, our business teams, we're able to very rapidly build upon the the tools that we had available to us. And created um, a model in which I think up to 20% or so of our appointments were moved from on-site to virtual. And of course, as I always like to say, the technology is the easy part, right? A lot of it is how do we construct the operating model to support it, you know, to make sure that 
patients were going to have a seamless experience. Um, so to that end, we established a concierge team um, specifically tasked with contacting patients in advance of their visit to make sure they were able to get connected. They didn't, you know, they were comfortable using the technology. So that wasn't a distraction for them during the virtual appointments. And we did all this with existing staff. So, you know, as we talk about demand planning, you know, we really, we didn't have the option of going out and hiring people to start this program up in a matter of days. Um, We had to look across our teams, look at our available capacity or, or reprioritizing the work that was to be done to make sure that we were able to establish an effective and I think very, you know, favorable model and experience for our patients. So, uh, Nick, when you are looking at the different ways you have tried to change the operational capability, because, of course, if you've handled demand planning, next thing comes is, would your team be ready? Would your business be ready to tackle? But you don't want to turn on a dime either. It's a huge organization that you lead. So what triggers a shift in what you're doing to the next level? Incremental tweaks continue to happen as part of continuous improvement exercise. But what drives or what triggers that pivoting or what did drive the pivoting so that you're not jumping and your team is not jumping at the first shift or first, first smallest trigger? And you are, I would say, in a prudent way pick the right battles that you can fight and you can win? Uh, first of all, let me tell you that uh, I had the pleasure to work in large-scale organizations, you know, uh, from British American Tobacco to Coca-Cola, Richmond International. And uh, uh, one of the main partners we had around there was benchmark organizations. So we used to benchmark on everything that we are doing, from our budget to our reviews and so forth. Um To come back to your question, I think a motto that uh, I have heard that I'm trying to follow is that I hate the word best practices. So having benchmarks and follow best practices is exactly uh, the element that does not allow us to pivot. We need to realize that best practices is just a commodity. And, uh, you know, having benchmark is, you know, okay, can be a foundational element, but it's not enough on that. So swift our mentality, swift and try to realize that we have to uh, seek for new opportunities around there. And uh, the technology is a key enabler around that. I can give you a very simple example around here where I'm now. Uh, edge computing. So we had, you know, the cloud, we have the on-premise, but here we have a huge opportunity using the edge computing aspects, elements, capabilities to drive this business that we are doing, which is a heavy manufacturing business on the one hand, to the next level. And there is no existing benchmark on that. Why? Because it is quite a new, new and niche technology. So this is the way that I'm thinking now. I try to have, you know, this all new approach that allows us to move beyond the benchmark and best practice. So you're not totally foregoing, Nick, right? You're not saying, okay, forget the benchmarks and best practices, move to a totally... You're not pivoting. You are shifting, yeah? Yes. So how does that look like? I mean, you say slowly a goodbye, a slow goodbye to the best practices and let something else start taking its place? Uh, no, you try to do this thing in a hybrid mode. What that means. Um, in my past years, we try to do this thing um, also in full alignment with the current organization. 
when I was, for example, in previous organization, British American Tobacco, we started building what we used to call digital cells. It is an organization inside our own organization where we brought talents, capabilities in a complete, I would say, new collaborative mode, try to resolve exercises or try to deal with matters that they can deal for the first time in, a, uh, in their digital way of thinking, I would say. And this helped us significantly. So, Jennifer, I'm sure you also have the same type of an environment where you have to keep things operationally effective and accurate since, again, human lives are at stake. And you cannot make a fundamental shift overnight that you're going to deliver oxygen differently. But I'm sure there is something which would drive such changes at an operational level. An operational level can be either clinical or it could be more on the business side of healthcare. What have you done so that either ways or in either departments, you continue to make strides without creating undue risk and you are able to move towards the newer approach that we're evangelizing today, which is scenario driven versus staying close to the principle dependent, which promise stability and reduced risk. So in my uh, current and my former organizations, we have referenced, uh, I would say, different indicators to catalyze this type of change, you know, whether that be you know, a functional change or a process change. Um, we have different, I would say, signals. Um, more often than not, though, in my own experience, I would say it's, off, it's usually the signals that we get in the qualitative feedback. Uh, so that would be, you know, potentially situations where we have um, recurring instances of you know, performance degradation or procedural gaps in, in workflows or, you know, even just the very common situations where, you know, solutions in our environment need a capability that we don't currently possess. I mean, these are the things that we all deal with regardless of industry. Um, so much of that insight, we look to signals and the qualitative data and the feedback and the relationships we have with our business, which are absolutely critical to making this shift. Um, we, we have, again, like many organizations, we have backlog data uh, we can look at, whether that be, you know, product requests, whether that be, you know, our service request data that we receive. So those are also very, you know, sort of objective quantitative type signals that we can look for. Um, when we hear these, when we, you know, when we surface these insights, uh, we're typically using this as a trigger to evaluate a larger, you know, operating model or resource change. Uh, in some cases, product investment decisions we want to make. You know, the the challenge, of course, with this is they're all very reactive models. And so, you know, what I think, you know, I would like to see going forward, uh, something that's missing, at least in the environments that I've been a part of, is to have more contextual awareness of the factors that are driving these operational needs. So, you know, anything that I can get, and we have some of it today, but really creating a richer, you know, set of, of indicators to tell me insights on how our users are interacting with the system and the sentiments when they're using technology platforms or even better correlation with resource availability and staffing patterns. These would be insights that would very much inform and advance um, our understanding and more importantly, facilitate a proactive uh, change in our operating model or a proactive change in how we are addressing uh, the, the, uh, the evolution of our business environment. 
Let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, Jennifer, let's talk about partnerships. And in a healthcare system, partners are key. And the partner could include even a physician or other outpatient services or anyone else who together would come to help change or or help manage a patient's health. How do you build and nurture partners? What is the type of change that we need today in the context that you run the business or your organization runs the business, which is healthcare? And what would you fundamentally uh, review but let go as uh, an original benchmark or best practice and then uh, appeal for a shift to the scenario-driven uh, practical approaches. Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and listen to Jennifer. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Partnerships, very important for your ecosystem and lives at stake, very important. And yes, again, healthcare likes to make sure stability is there in the operations and everything else that we do. And partners also are long-term partners, typically. What do you think is required? What's your appeal? And what do you think your organization is actively doing to make sure that we're not sitting on the age-old practices, which are, while somehow able to give stability, but not keeping you relevant? And how are you shifting to scenario-driven business? Sure. Um, so yes, I mean, in, in our in the healthcare environment, there are a number of different, you'd say, personas or you know, individuals or groups that you know we we partner with regularly. I mean, we would not clearly be able to function, be able to deliver care effectively, be able to manage operations, you know, if we didn't work in that manner. Um, I think in terms of what needs to change, you know, earlier I mentioned that. You know, I think we we as an IT leadership team, as an IT discipline, have to embrace the concepts of empathy and empowerment. And we have to, first of all, recognize that the environment in which many healthcare practitioners are, are working in is uh, cognitively, it's very heavy. It's very, it's almost overwhelming from a cognitive point of view that there are a lot of different inputs, disruptions that they're facing on a regular basis uh, when interacting with technology on top of dealing with, you know, in a very um, sensitive way, dealing with, you know, what is often the most difficult time in an individual's life and helping them, you know, guiding them, you know, comforting them during that time period. So we put, you know, a tremendous burden on our healthcare practitioners. And that is true, I think, universally. Um, so as an IT practitioner, as someone who doesn't actually 
deliver care directly, you know, I recognize it's my job and my team's job to help do what we can to ease that burden for our our physicians, for our nurses, for our advanced practice professionals, so that they can do their job as effectively as possible. And we have to, you know, give them, again, we have to empower them, we have to help automate, we have to help reduce that load through all the tools that we have available. You know, in terms of how that feeds into scenario-based planning, I think that it is that, that listening you know, that which has always been important. Certainly, that is not a new concept um, to anyone uh, in IT, but that is our fundamental imperative. And that is increasingly challenging to do for all the reasons, you know, we faced a hybrid work environment that many people are working in, the, you know, general staffing and, and resource availability challenges that we have, the you know, again, the ability, uh, the, the number of distractions, the number of inputs that are creating a lot of noise in everyone's environment. So listening has always been critical. Um, I think that is a, a best practice we can say should absolutely continue. Um, but what we have to do, or I think we, I think we need to aim for, um, is to be able to leverage data-generated insights to augment the, the listening that we do directly. So the narrative of our users and the narrative of the communities we serve we need to augment that again with that contextual awareness that I talked about earlier so that we can partner with them more effectively to identify and execute improvements within their workflows. So Nick, in your environment, partners are also very important, a different environment, but scale could be different. Complexities could be different. You could have supply chain partners upstream and downstream, et cetera. What have you done to handle it and how are you working with your business counterparts to rethink and reimagine such partnership while embracing more so of scenario-driven approach versus principle-dependent? First of all, we always believe and uh, we do do share the same uh, belief in our organization that the partner ecosystem is uh, a key enabler for our innovation. So coming back to your point, what we are doing around that, first of all, we are putting, uh, I would say, a fact-based approach in order to evaluate our partners, the value of each partner, point number one. Point number two, we try also to associate the partner ecosystem with our approach. In, uh, uh, In my organization, in my past two organizations, to be more precise, we have, uh, we want to become a platform enabling business. Platform-enabled business, that means even the scenarios that we will run will be based on those platforms. So our partner ecosystem needs to follow that or needs to be associated with this. On top of it, we try to change our approach as well. Uh, When you are a big conglomerate with uh, hundreds of billions of revenue, I would say you need to adjust the approach from the large-scale partner to towards a partner ecosystem consists of startups. How you are doing this thing? You are building, and we have built, uh, I would say, our relevant uh, digital sales, digital garages, how you can call it, in a complete separate uh, way, place, from the large-scale organization. There, you are able to attract smaller scale, or I would say startup scale, kind of partners, and they can cope with you, they can work with you in a more effective way. So this hybrid, this dual approach, allow us to select the right uh, partners. 
Now, when you're selecting partner, that's one thing, but are partners willing to step up, Nick? Like you would say, we want to do the, go this route. And of course, you have your own agenda, you have your own management, but partners also look at themselves as an entity which needs to survive and thrive. So are they willing to come along with you shifting your approaches than how the benchmarks and the best practices or letting go of best practices and looking at more scenario-driven approaches? Uh, I was surprised with their willingness. Uh, but in order to do this thing, you have to be uh, a trustful, I would say, customer uh, yourself. You cannot engage with someone and, you know, just bringing initiatives and ask for help or, you know, try to focus on total cost of ownership. You need to be, to create this partnership from the beginning, share values, share, uh, I would say, the vision and work towards this direction in a long-term partnership. Yes, I was surprised uh, how uh, some of those partners were key innovators. They have demonstrated us their capabilities of creating, you know, this, uh, um, I would say, ecosystem of innovation in their own ways, in their own, uh, I would say, uh, innovation hubs. But some of those innovation hubs will try also to mimic ourselves in our own scale. And far more important, we, try, we manage to leverage learnings around that. So, yes, I would say I was surprised with uh, the quality of those partners. But for the ones that we were fair and uh, work with them hand in hand towards a common goal. Jennifer, when you look at uh, your approach to how you are trying to go forward with the scenario-driven models, now I'm sure not everything has been um, totally finalized yet. You, this is something maybe you are you're dabbling in, I'm assuming. But what do you think is the current state of maturity or the current, st- current journey? Where are you in which stage are you in, in that journey? Is this asking this question in 2025, we'll say, okay, we are in, in process or this is something which could have a pivot or, 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 or say a deadline or, or a date by when we say, okay, we are there for the most part. Yeah. So in healthcare, we are, already utilizing scenario-driven models, I think, in many cases for disaster and emergency planning. Um, Certainly, the pandemic has increased the visibility and importance of preparing for these large-scale public health events. Um, And we are all becoming, I think, I think we're all maturing uh, our capabilities in this area. Even before the crisis, many health Many healthcare organizations, my own included, you know, had modeled different scenarios for the purposes of responding to a high impact incident, such as a, you know, mass casualty event or a cyber attack. Um, prior organizations I've worked at, you know, this was a very common exercise. You know, even ten years ago, fifteen years ago, you know, when preparing for um, large events, you know, large sporting events or high profile figures. So this is something I think we actually are fairly good at within healthcare because that is, you know, ultimately our fundamental job is to provide care for the communities that we serve. Um, I also can say that, you know, applying them to cybersecurity readiness has been, I think, hugely beneficial in terms of proactively identifying, you know, continuity and response capabilities that need to be strengthened. Um, As I think towards the future, I believe there's an a incredible opportunity to extend these models into planning for, you know, future platform and product investments for the organization. So, you know, some of the real questions that, you know, myself and my team are always considering is, you know, what are the, what, what human and technology capabilities are needed to support our future data center footprint? 
you know, under what conditions would we increase our local uh, or private investment versus continuing to expand more into hyperscale uh, provider platforms? You know, these are some of the technology scenarios that we are trying to, you know, understand um, as we plan for the future. Um, similarly, very related topic, you know, how will we make decisions generally when it comes to, you know, product buy versus build? And what are those assumptions that we would follow into each scenario? And then how will the outcome of these decisions be measured in our environment and used to inform our future investments decisions? So those are all areas that I, I would like us to continue to mature. And I think we're still relatively um, immature at this point in, in modeling those different scenarios uh, in IT, but would like to you know look toward for the future. So Nick, what's going on in your space in the same way where you know you may have started in this journey, but are you fully cooked? Are you somewhere starting out or you're somewhere in between? Where, what, how would you define your current state? I have to admit that uh, we are in uh, uh, various, um, I would say, levels all my organization now. Um, the retail part, the retail section of uh, my business currently is really, really coping very well with that. But on the other hand, the heavy manufacturing bit, the raffineries and so forth, uh, coming with a more traditional background, I think they are lagging and our effort is trying to get them up to speed. We have some concepts around that, call them digital raffineries and so forth, but they are still, still lagging around that and there is a fundamental shift from their mentality. Uh, last but not least, we have our trading business, which is a third pillar. And in this uh, trading business, uh, the use of technology, because we're talking about uh, uh, citizen data scientists and data scientists, is more than welcome. And over there, I think we have a really, really uh, excellent examples of how can we thrive with uh, the use of technology and uh, models and uh, really, really successful AI implementation. So people, process, and technology, you know, the, the three legs of the stool. So we did talk about a little bit about processes and the technology. So fun part begins when we deal with people. So Jennifer, when you look at people and you say, drop the principle-driven, the things which they were coached on, they thought everything, what they would do based on anything which used to work to bring stability will be the mantra. But now you're saying, no, we are going to go by design a little more entrepreneurial, a little more mavericks. How does it sit well? How, how well does it sit with your, the people side, whether staff, mid-management and upper management? I mean, I think it varies. There's definitely individuals who are more uncomfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty than others. Um, there's also, you know, folks that are, I think, much more comfortable having what, what can be very provocative conversations. You know, when you think about, you know, the future state um, or future scenarios, I should say, with many of the different um, you know, business issues that we face, you know, almost every one should account for uh, not just the investments in technology and or processes, as you've noted, but also, you know, how are the power dynamics going to shift across the organization within IT or even outside of IT? And those are very uncomfortable conversations to have for many people. So, you know, we have to, I think, um, provide, you know, the, the support, the coaching, and in some cases, education to our workforce to help them um, become comfortable with either 
leading or at least contributing to these types of analyses. And so, you know, that could be things like the formal, you know, systematic methodologies that you would follow in, in a scenario-driven uh, model. Um, but it also, I think, needs to include, you know, training or support around the soft skills that are required to engage constructively in these types of exercises. And that, that will take time. But I think that, you know, the most successful leaders are, will be those who are able to adapt and evolve their own styles to be able to embrace that philosophy. Nick, when you're talking about people, a global organization, much larger global scale, how do you get a handle or arms around this whole people issue? In a very, very difficult manner. Um, I would say uh, the same principles apply here, but in a larger scale. How we manage to address that, I can uh, use um, a success story, I would say. Um, we started, uh, I would say, a company-driven initiative, started from the board, going down to uh, mid and senior management level. We call that the digital DNA. What was that? We started with uh, an executive training for our management board. We get them to Silicon Valley to understand what digital is for them with practical examples. And under this initiative, the digital DNA, we went also to the next two to three layers of the management with similar trainings. But this was one, I would say, concept started from the top and going really down. And this has been embraced and managed to provide, I would say, the results that we were expecting. So, as a result of this, we managed to build the digital hubs, our regional digital hubs in each one of the continents, consist of people that have been through that training and start sharing the same objectives and aspirations. Definitely, this organizational shift is, is essential. And um, we try, you know, continuously with our frameworks, uh, with our joint initiatives, to continue and uh, focus uh, around that. It is not easy. Even, I would say, I can use uh, my example as well. You know, even myself, when I try to give my first uh, examinations on uh, a scale agile framework, I can tell you it was not an easy task. Now, um, so Jennifer, let's talk about the leadership first, and we'll talk about governance a little bit, but more important, all of this, you're supposed to produce miracles working with business individually and collectively between you and the business in the ivory tower or whosoever is the stakeholder. You're supposed to produce miracles. All of this is not something that you were groomed for. And there's a lot of new things coming your way or thrown at you. What shops do you need to build for yourself to be able to handle this today and going forward? Um. You know, nothing, uh, I would say, revolutionary, you know, beyond, but I know for myself, I have to be able to delegate and instill a sense of both trust and accountability within the teams that are, that I'm working with, whether that be my customers in the business or whether that be, you know, my IT teams. So I think reinforcing, you know, and creating frameworks in which, you know, promote high trust high accountability, but also low, um, low levels of what I'll characterize as micromanagement. It's not the best term, but, you know, not, not having to be deeply involved 
an understanding that these folks, you know, are going to, you know, execute in an autonomous way. Um, that to me is critical from a leadership style and be, be comfortable with that. And, you know, also, um, this sort of dovetails a bit into the governance, which I know you said we'll talk about, but I would say also to think very critically about the, um, the forums and the models used for decision-making and prioritization within our, um, our respective you know, teams. So we, my job fundamentally is to make sure it is a facilitator to ensure that you know, we are executing um, on the most important priorities for our business, and we're doing it in a way where decisions are being made at the right level by the right people, and that there's full transparency in terms of how we're performing. So I, I, my job as a leader is to create um, a forum in which, and, and a level of trust that those things are going to happen, but then also to ensure that there are, um, you know, consistent avenues for, you know, updating and informing the stakeholders who are involved in the process. So since we have limited time, Nick, I would love to get your specific personal shifts you would make in yourself as a leader to do a better job in dealing with this uh, move from, uh, you know, uh, principle dependent to scenario driven. What would those be? You got a minute. Yes. Uh, being a member of the executive committee in my organization here now, it is a big burden from my end. So what I'm trying to do here is exactly uh, those, uh, I would say, scenario-driven business, try to work along with my peer community and try to embed those in the daily operations, coming from sales and operational planning down to capacity planning and uh, down to detail, detail uh, resource uh, allocation. It is uh, something that I consider myself now as one of uh, the key enablers around here. And I'm trying continuously to, uh, I would say, evangelize the technology aspect in every board discussion. This is something that it starts getting well perceived around here. It's not an easy task, and I'm trying myself to evolve continuously and get uh, up to the speed with my peer community, understand and engage as much as possible around that. Cascading down to my team, also with the same principles. Thank you so much once again, uh, Nick and Jennifer, for sharing your insights and thoughts on how organizations can take a step back, pause what they are doing, and maybe not pause, but take a second look at how things are being done and shift from a principle dependent to a scenario-driven business. Thanks so much. And listeners, please connect with us on social media. Subscribe to our podcast. Once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjur Gall. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.